Welcome to Cohen & Company's Chief Insights Podcast, a thought leadership series designed for C-level executives, board members, and other top decision makers. Hello, I'm Scott Swain, a tax partner in the High Net Worth Group at Cohen & Company. Welcome to this episode of Chief Insights. Today, we are going to talk about the SECURE Act and more specifically about the two main impacts that it will have on your retirement accounts and then how you can plan accordingly. I'm joined by Leon Lebrecht, Chief Growth Officer at Sequoia Financial Group. Our Sequoia colleague, Heather Welsh, was supposed to join us as well, but unfortunately couldn't be here today. The three of us have been working together closely on analyzing the act and the resulting planning opportunities. Hi, everybody, and Scott, good to be here with you. Scott and Heather and I wrote a guide on Secure, a very comprehensive guide, I might add, and great job. Thanks for all the great hard work you did. Um, We've gone over a lot of things in Secure about Roth strategies and estate planning strategies, and we encourage all our listeners to go to goodirideas.com and download the guide. But, Scott, uh, what are we going to talk about here? We've got a lot to cover. There's a lot of interesting stuff, but these are big changes, aren't there? There's 86 million Americans with IRAs, and literally this affects all IRAs and all kinds of qualified plans. Yeah, that's for sure, Leon. Um, why don't you start by talking about what you see as the biggest changes under SECURE? Well, there were 29 changes in SECURE, which 28 were good, and two were the big ones that affect most of us. So the biggest one is the change in the required minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know that the old rules on IRAs were that you had to start taking your money out at age 70 and a half give or take, with a couple of exceptions. And if you didn't do that, you were subject to a 50% penalty, which I might say you only forgot twice. Now that rule is 72. So you can now take your RMDs at 72. That's good, which means those of us who want to keep saving our IRA can do it. The one I don't like, Scott, the one that costs $15 billion (laughs) is the elimination of the stretch. In the old days, I could leave my IRA to my spouse. When my spouse and I both died, we could leave it to our kids, and they could take it out over their lifetimes. We gave them a lifetime income stream. That's now eliminated. Now our kids will have to take the money out in 10 years. Big, big difference. Big tax increase on the kids. So something all our people should be listening to and thinking about. And this affects all qualified retirement plan accounts as well as IRAs, correct? Absolutely, Scott. This affects 401k plans. It affects 403bs. It affects 457b, cash balance plans, lump sum distributions. A lot of folks will say, well, I don't have a very big IRA. And they're going, well, but I got half a million dollars in my 401k plan and my spouse has got 600 grand in her 401k plan. No, everything that eventually ends up in an IRA on the death of the second spouse is the one that's going to be looking at. So we're looking at lots and lots and lots of money going through here. Trillions of dollars, Scott. So it's really big. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about the four inflection points on on taxable IRAs in terms of the timing? Sure. There's really, in terms of a taxable IRA and a taxable account, there's four things that happen. The first thing that happens is we retire. So we retire. We generally go in a lower tax bracket. We start doing our planning. We figure out if we're going to draw from our IRA or what we're going to go do. It's a logical thing. And everybody, that's a good point. We like that inflection point. Lower tax rate. Then we get to RMDH. We get to the age where we have to start taking the distributions. And Scott, you and I share a lot of clients who like to accumulate their IRAs and build them up bigger. For sure. So if I go out to age 72, I might have accumulated a lot larger RMD. So the second inflection point is when I have to start taking my distributions. And the problem with this is the math of required minimum distributions says that my distribution starts getting bigger and my taxes get bigger. The third inflection point is what happens when one of us dies. So if I'm married to my spouse, left it to her, I die, she is now going to inherit my IRA and add it to her IRA and be at a higher tax bracket because she'll now be single. So that's 
a much bigger tax increase. And now Secure put the nail in the coffin lid. They added one more inflection point, and they said, okay, now on the death of the second spouse, the kids have to take it out over 10 years. Add to that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expire in 2025, at the end of 2025. We now have a recipe for what you and I used to tell people in the old days is now flipped on its head. We now should be looking at Roths and looking at other things instead of just going with our traditional pre-tax savings. So, Scott, looking at this now, I think there's going to be a need for tax bracket management, especially with trustees or with kids. So if I'm a kid and I inherit an IRA from my parents and I'm going to make big charitable contributions in that year, I might want to take a bigger IRA distribution. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this bracket management, this tax bracket management in our guide? You wrote extensively on that. How's that going to work? Yeah, right. So, you know, definitely something that you didn't necessarily have to consider in the past with uh, inheriting an IRA because you could stretch out the, the payments over your right, lifetime. So you just did that. It was the lowest tax. Right. right. Now you, you're compressed into that 10-year period. Uh, if you've got this more sizable IRA and you're, you're taking that out, let's say, equally over the 10-year period, you're going to push up into higher tax brackets across the board as you take those distributions out. So the thinking here is you're really going to have to focus more on your taxable income from year to year. If you've got a low taxable income year for whatever reason, you, you have your own business and it's a down year, that might be a year to take a bigger distribution out of the IRA so that you can use up all of the lower tax brackets to your advantage uh, when you start drawing out the distributions. You don't have to take it evenly. You could take it all in year 10. You could take it all in year 2. Right. You know, so whatever people don't you really know that. Do. The 10-year rule says you take it anytime within the 10-year period. Correct. Not over the 10-year period, within in the 10-year period. Right. So you really want to look at, you know, timing it to minimize your tax over the 10-year period by leveling out those years where you've got lower income. If you've got a higher taxable income year, take less distributions that year. Uh, and then you mentioned, uh, you know, the potential to uh, take a larger distribution in a year where you've got a large charitable deduction. So if you've got charitable goals and want to use effectively use a portion of the IRA to fund some charitable goals, you know, time time the distribution so that you've got a large distribution, you fund the charitable deduction in the same year, and, you know, again, you're kind of leveling out the tax bracket for that year. Uh, another way to manage this a little and more complexly, I guess you would say, would be through a trust. So if the IRA is uh, inherited by a trust that then benefits your children instead right. of it going directly to your children, the trustee could then, you know, manage the tax brackets at the trust level, uh, make distributions down to the beneficiaries to help them manage their tax brackets. You, you really could do some more creative things. You could really make a difference, couldn't you? Take yes. into account spouse's income. Spouse gets a bonus. Don't make a distribution. Spouse has a pass-through entity. Make a distribution. Right. Lots of good stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, the SECURE Act also applies to Roths. Different animal here now, right? So Roth IRAs, different inflection points. You retire, you got a Roth IRA, no big deal. Doesn't matter. You get to RMD age, this is an important rule, we don't have RMDs with Roths. So I don't have to pay tax on, I don't have to take any money out of the Roth. I die and leave it to my spouse. Spouse doesn't have to take money out of the Roth. And then the extra good news, I guess, or bad news is when we both die, the kids can take the money out of the Roth tax-free after 10 years. So totally different angle, isn't there, Scott, between taxable IRAs and Roth IRAs? Right, for sure. You know, it allows you to cum accumulate a larger tax-free balance um, you know, during your lifetime, after you you know exceed that minimum distribution age, the account can continue to grow. Uh, you know, the kids will be forced to take it out over the ten-year period, and again, they can take it out however they want. But it'd be best uh, at the end, right? That's best if you want to. If, if you don't need the cash, wait and take it all at the end uh, right. after another ten years of deferral. So not as good as it used to be, but still pretty good. And then you know, you've also got to factor in 
what the income tax rates look like today under the TCJA, you know, it could make a lot more sense to be funding funding new retirement plan contributions into a Roth 401k or Roth IRAs uh, rather than the taxable accounts that people have, you know, sort of defaulted to in the past, simply because you've got lower tax brackets under TCJA today. As an example, the top tax rate for a couple making around $300,000 of, of taxable income would only be 19.2% today under the TCJA, which uh, that rate would be good through 2025. In 2026, the marginal tax rate for that same level of income, 300000 would be about 33%. Right. So quite a jump in the tax rate You know, could make a lot of sense to start, you know, putting contributions in, paying the tax at 19.2 today while the rates are low, and then, you know, having this great retirement asset tax-free um, that, that'll grow tax-free and hopefully be there for your heirs if you don't need to spend it down the line. Not only if that couple did that and they had a pastor entity, by them taking $50,000 and having it in the Roth, they increase their taxable income and they increase their deduction, don't they? They get a 20% deduction for the extra fifty grand that they're now saving in the Roth. Way better. Correct. Yeah, I mean, so, that would, it would fall back to being taxable business income, and that gets pretty complicated in, in sorting out whether you get the deduction or not. But, you know, assuming it's a situation where you would, yeah, you'd get the benefit of the business deduction in addition to the uh, the preferential tax rate under the TCJA. Yeah, that's what they need us for, I think. So yeah. I, I've been telling some of my clients that are in that business, my veterinarian, to be sure, who makes a lot of money because it's my veterinarian. I have too many animals. Um, we're using the same idea that they're switching over to a Roth. And they're going to do it until the end of 2025. And they're in that 19% bracket. And when I showed them, hey, when you go into the Roth, you're now getting a deduction as opposed to a deferral. They went, wow, this is just great. This is great. So take a tax increase and turn it into a tax benefit. Really, really an advantage for us. But I think I completely agree with you on Roths. I think there's about five different ways we can put money into Roths. And that could vary from having a kid's Roth, setting up a Roth for your kids or your grandkids, to if I have an older parent in a lower tax bracket, like I did. My mom was in a low tax bracket. I was in a high tax bracket. I had her convert her IRA to a Roth, and then I just paid the tax for it. But I got rid of the RMD, no more RMD. She allowed it to build up for 10 more years tax-free, and then I inherited a Roth IRA. So I call that the mom Roth. Right. And as you've seen, there's some of these places have after-tax Roth contributions that we call Mega Roth, where I can put 37000 And you and I talked about these in the guide with Heather. Lots and lots of different ways. So we've identified five Roth strategies. Right, yeah. And one of the, the changes under SECURE was that you can continue to fund an IRA after age 70 and a half. So if you've got a parent that does have some earned income, you know, that's, that's an option for them now to continue to build up the, their IRA assets and fund, you know, fund a Roth potentially. Uh, and, of course, the children Roths you mentioned, I like that strategy. I do that for my own kids. Yeah, Kid Roth. Uh, they just have to have earned income to do it. It's half David Lee Roth and half Kid Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, one I really like is what I call bracket topping. And, and you and I both see how this goes. It's, you know, it's almost like tax, tax bracketology season, you know, a little bit of March madness going into our tax returns. But if I'm, if I'm looking at uh, tax brackets, if I top off the bracket, if I move the bracket up, so I have a client right now, and they, they sold a business. They got about $3 million invested with us, and they've got about $2 million sitting in the bank, paid off all their debts, got a big IRA, 401K worth a million bucks. And they're saying, what do we do? And they're 62 years old. And I said, look, I want you to delay your Social Security until 70. You don't need it. You'll get much more. They're both healthy. She's a yoga instructor. He runs. So they're in really good shape. I said, I want you to delay now under secure your distributions from your plan until 72. I said, but what I want to do is you're in a really low tax bracket because you don't have any itemized deductions. You don't have any other income. 
We're getting qualified dividends, which the tax rate's effectively zero. You're getting municipal bond interest on your on your portfolio. So we're going to convert $46,000 a year into a Roth, forty six grand a year for 10 years. At the end of 10 years, they'll have accumulated about 500000 bucks. If they leave that alone until they're 85 years old, it'll accumulate out to about a million six, and then it'll accumulate to about $2.4 million for the kids. Total tax got 2100 bucks a year. $21,000 of tax, $2.4 million worth of wealth transfer. That's my version of a good use of this rule. I like that rule. Yeah, that's absolutely a great example. And, you know, certainly uh, the type of thing that you oftentimes need a planner to really get involved with to, yep. to sort these kind of details out because it is just so complicated between the, the uh, tax brackets and, uh, you know, just factoring in how everything works with the tax code. Well, and I'm I'm playing around a lot with estate plans. I've been talking to a lot of estate planning attorneys, and you do a lot with estate planning. I mean, you're like a wizard at this stuff. <laughs> um, I I think there's about six changes we're going to have to do to a lot of trusts. I think there's a lot of things that are going to have to change with larger IRAs and trusts. So you just got back from the biggest estate planning conference around down at uh, down in Orlando, the Heckerling Conference, and I think it's it's one of the big topics down there was secure and right. how trusts are going to be much more prevalent as beneficiaries of IRAs. And I think a lot of people who have a revocable living trust in an IRA are going to want to consider shifting into their trust as the beneficiary. And they're going to want to look at if they had an old IRA trust, should they change that around? And should they give powers to the trustee, like you said, to manage tax brackets? Those are all considerations. So I think a lot of our listeners should be paying attention. Hey, I'm going to have a pretty big IRA. Hey, I have a trust. I better start talking to somebody about this. I better make sure I've got this in the right direction and make sure I'm doing this the way I want to. Yeah, and I think that some of the analysis that you and Heather did, you were you were kind of looking at a four hundred thousand dollar break point where yeah. if you've got over four hundred thousand in retirement assets, that it really makes sense to start looking at this bracket topping, starting to consider using a trust to receive the assets instead of the beneficiaries receiving it directly. Yep. Um, the other thing I would mention, you know, for folks that do have more sizable balances, they may have already had them set up uh, with a with a trust as the, their revocable living trust as the beneficiary. And, you know, the trust provisions really aren't going to be in line with what Secure says. Right. They're going to be lined up to cre- create a stretch uh, situation where the trust can draw out the IRA income over the beneficiary's lifetimes and then pass that income directly through to the beneficiaries on, a, on an annual basis. It's really a conduit and the money goes out and it gets taxed to the beneficiaries. That's how the trust that, that uh, were set up in the past would work. So you really need to dust off those trust documents and revise them for secure uh, because it's, it, they're just not going to work right the way that they're currently drafted if yep. you did have the trust You're, in the mix before. So the conduit trust, like you say, we think could blow up. It depends on how it's written, but there's been a lot of conduit trusts that are saying, oh, you have to take the RMD. Well, now there's no RMD. So now you're in a situation where you built a legal document and got the nice binder from your attorney, and, and now you're sitting there going, it doesn't work. So right. you do need to get a revision. One more thing I think is important about trusts is they do provide asset protection. As you and I both have talked about before, in 2015, the Supreme Court had a case where an inherited IRA heir got all their assets lost in their mom's IRA because they were sued by the creditors, you know, by the creditors or their spouse, actually, was what was mm-hmm. wild. So there is an asset protection clause in there within a trust. So if you think it's possible your kids could, you know, eventually be sued or lose the money within the 10-year period, the trust provides a layer of legal insulation that I think is really important. Right, right. And if you, you know, if, if you put in the appropriate provisions, you also give the trustee the flexibility to not pass through all of the IRA income and tax some of it to the trust or to pass it through unequally to the beneficiaries yep. to manage those tax brackets. 
packets and, yep. and the current or give it to documents. the grandkids, give it to the grandkids, pass it on down. You could make a class of beneficiaries of your kids and your kids' kids. I mean, lots of ways to make this work. It's it's a it's an open area. I mean, all all of us in the business are talking about it. I think Scott, it's it's just a big thing. And then you get into you know on the estate planning side, a lot of other more complicated strategies that you might you know want to utilize if you've got large charitable designs or something like that. You know, there's certainly other other planning strategies that people are already thinking about under secure to you know to help you do things like that in addition to just the standard you know leave it to the kids type approach i'm with you i think the best beneficiary of an ira is charity and the second best is your spouse and the third best is your kids right taxable only though you don't want to leave a roth roth you never ever leave a roth to charity don't do that or we'll call the roth cops on you leon will flog you yes (laughs) so um lots and lots we've covered here there's a lot more to it Uh, i think we'd like to encourage our listeners to go get our guide the guide is available at goodirideas.com, and you can download the guide and also look at some of our other materials, Forbes articles and other things. Scott, if they wanted to get a hold of you, they can contact you through Cohen, right? And Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously they could contact uh, myself through Sequoia. We've got a, a whole group of planners. Um, anything else you want to add, Scott? Um, I think we've uh, beat this up pretty well, Leon. Um, if, if you wanted to share maybe the most important thing for our listeners is, you know, as far as coming from your perspective. Yeah, this changes your beneficiary, so that you have to start thinking about your beneficiary. That's the most important part. Whether it's going to be a trust or whether they're going to be the kids or whatever else, what do you want your IRA to do at the end of your lives, the spouse joint lives? And then the second part is, do you want to change your saving strategy to be tax-free now to take away some of these disadvantages of the tax inflections that we talked about? Yeah, I would definitely agree. I, I think that you know people have operated under sort of these old rules of thumb for a long period of time. You yeah. know, deferring as much as you can into your your four hundred one k and those kind of things. You and, and I both did it. Yeah, we deferred as yeah. much as we could. I mean, and we did pre tax. That may still be the answer, but it, I think it's time to go in and reanalyze it and make sure that that's still the right answer for you. It may have changed, you know, based on the things that we've talked about here today. Yep. We now have a new question, not just a new answer. All right. So I think that wraps up today's podcast. Uh, Thank you very much, Leon, and thank you to everyone who joined us here today. Have a great day. Thanks, Scott. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chief Insights. Subscribe to this podcast series at cohencpa.com slash podcasts. To gain more insights that may impact you, visit us at cohencpa.com slash impact. Cohen and Company is not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Information contained in this podcast is considered accurate as of the date of recording. Any action based on information in this podcast should only be taken after a detailed review of the specific facts, circumstances, and current law.